Welcome back to another episode of Spiritual Directors Talking About Stuff. Today, Chris and I will continue our conversation about the Enneagram by describing the remaining six personality types. If you're new to the Enneagram, we hope you will begin to discover your type within these episodes. All right, so we have now finished out the whole first triad, that gut triad, and now we're going to move into the two, three, four triad, which are the feelings triad. So uh, the uh, the first one are the twos, and they are called the helper, or some people call them the befriender. They are exactly what it sounds like as being a helper. They are warm, caring, and giving. They're motivated by a need to be loved and to be needed. And in that helping other people constantly and giving of themselves, they avoid acknowledging their own needs. So the helper is really all about other people. They tend to feel other people's feelings instead of feel their own feelings. They're very sincere and self-sacrificing. That goes to giving away of themselves. And they tend to be people pleasers, again, because they want to be loved and needed by other people. So that is where the people pleasing comes in. But in a more unhealthy side of the two, they can be very prideful. This would come from a sense of, uh, I have helped you and I've given all of myself to you and you aren't reciprocating. And look at all the things that I did for you that can be very prideful of a two. And so because of that possibility of that getting frustrated when other people don't reciprocate, they can be very emotionally codependent. So again, their emotions, their feelings are dependent on other people. And twos get their self-worth by meeting the needs of other people. So that's the, the helping, the very other-centered that if I help you and I do all these things for you, that means I have value. Twos are motivated to want to be loved and to be needed and appreciated by other people, um, which is why, again, they just keep giving of themselves. They want other people to respond to them. And they really want other people by how they give to other people and serve other people to vindicate their claims about themselves. So if I help you, you'll tell me I'm great. And that will make me feel better and give me self-worth. So as long as I focus on other people and not of myself, then therefore I have worth and I have value. And because they're so other people focused, that goes back to them avoiding acknowledging their own needs. Because if they stop and help themselves, then they're not helping other people. And then they don't get that that claim about themselves, their self-worth met if they stop to help themselves. Yeah, I can see uh, two kind of getting into uh, this spiral of, of, you know, wanting to help someone because that is how they express their love. But then they need to feel loved by other people. And but they don't get the reciprocation. They don't get the help back in the same degree that they help others. So they, you know, they feel unloved. But in order to boost up their, their self-esteem a little more and to feel more love, they'll give of themselves even more. But then they don't get as much back. And then so that, that, that downward spiral kind of, I can see that being a real problem for it too. Yes, absolutely. A lot of numbers can get stuck in the cycle of uh, trying to get a need met in some way um, based on their Enneagram number. And then it kind of 
coming back to uh, uh, feed the fear. And so they do more to get that need met, but then their fear keeps getting met over and over and over again. Um, and in a lot of ways, they can become their own worst enemy. And I think the two can really get caught up in that cycle of becoming your own worst enemy. Chris, are there any other twos in your life that you know that you see any of this with? Um, yeah, I, th- I think my wife is a two. I think she has definitely identified that for herself. Um, I didn't type her, but she um, she's definitely a helper. She loves to give of herself, um, make sure that other people are taken care of, um, you know, us and the family, uh, all of her friends, her other family members. So she's definitely a two. Um, and I can... I also, we, my wife and I both have a friend um, who is, I think she is a two, to the hilt. I mean, she is always giving of herself to other people to the point where she gets constantly, she gets run down and, and just completely gets, you know, sick for weeks at a time because she's, she's just constantly giving and giving and giving and not taking care of her own self. So yeah, I definitely see that in some of my friends. I would guess that the idea of self-care for a two can be very foreign or very hard to imagine ever taking care of themselves. But at the same time, self-care is probably the most important step for a two to become healthy in who they are. Um, I have a friend that um, she's actually an eight, but a very healthy eight. And uh, she was kind of talking about this idea of self-care and, and, uh, in order to truly serve people in a healthy way, you need to have your cup filled up or your bucket or your tank, whatever you call your emotional and intellectual and uh, physical and spiritual capacity. Um, In order to uh, truly serve people well, you need to have your cup filled up and then you are actually serving people from the overflow of your cup, not not depleting your own tank in order to serve people. And so I think that would probably be the best thing for if, if you're a two and listening to this and you're feeling icky about anything that we've talked about being a two and you think you're a two, your first step toward overall emotional, intellectual, physical, spiritual health would be taking steps toward engaging in self-care. The next number on the Enneagram is a three, and this is the one that is in the middle of the feelings triad. So the threes are called the performer and sometimes are called the achiever. And this comes from the fact that they are so wired for productivity and they are so success oriented. Um, They actually are also the most image conscious number on the entire Enneagram because one of their key motivations is to need to be, or at least appear to be successful and avoid failure. We talked about that a lot with the one. There's a lot of ones and threes that um, that mistype each other. Um, but threes are very, very image conscious. They're the ones that can walk into a room and say, who do I need to become in this situation to be the most successful? So they are productive and they're successful. Unlike the one, Threes are willing to cut corners if it means that they will move ahead and uh, climb up that ladder to be successful and productive. They're very, very ambitious. They're, they tend to be very self-assured. They're very energetic. Almost all threes are extroverts, 
Um, and they can also be very competitive because they want to avoid failure. And so they're always in competition with themselves to get to the next level, or they're in competition with other people for that promotion, for that award, whatever that may be. Like nines avoid conflict, threes avoid failure. They want achievement. They want to be productive. They want to be seen. They don't mind being in the center of attention. They're hungry for admiration. And a lot of the times um, we talk about this with social media, that what you see in social media is kind of the highlight reel of someone's life. And threes very often show other people the highlight reel of their own life. Because if there's anything that's not perfect or not looking good or might be construed as failure or weak, they're not going to show that because they want other people to see them as high achieving and successful. They're motivated to be affirmed, to distinguish themselves from others because that's how you perform and achieve. They like to have attention, to be admired, and they want to impress other people because impressing other people is how they can achieve and be successful. Chris, do you have any threes in your life that you know? Um, I don't think I know any personally, um, although I do think maybe some people that I know have some some part of the three in them on the achievement side of things and the uh, image consciousness side of things. Um, so, yeah, I definitely can't have seen that in some, some of my friends. But I actually have had the honor of uh, seeing a three over you know the course of time learn about the Enneagram, feel icky about their unhealth as a three, and uh, do the hard spiritual work of becoming healthy in their three. And uh, um, I'd love to have him on the podcast sometime because he is just a fantastic, fantastic person. Um, and he openly talks about his journey to health as a three um, on his Instagram and whatnot. And um, and so to, to be able to see him become aware of his coping mechanisms and his, um, a lot of times threes are described as chameleons because they, you know, they can become a different person based on the situation, whatever that means to be successful. And so for my friend to be, start to become aware of where he was a chameleon and how he was a different person with his wife than he was with his boss or whatever. And of course, there's a little bit of that in all of us, but it is just extreme for a three, especially an unhealthy three. And so to watch him speak the language of a healthy three after many years of learning about the Enneagram has really been a joy for me to watch. And, uh, um, and he has become so much more vulnerable in what he posts online. And uh, he can show the highlight reel on Instagram, but he can also talk about the hard things in life and uh, encourage people through them and use that to help other people become healthier in, in just who they are as people. So that's been an honor for me to have that three in my life. All right. So the last number in the feelings triad is the four. And these are often called the romantic or the individualist. And the label of the romantic actually comes from the romantic art era that had the big, bold colors and big brush strokes um, that just had a lot of feeling in them. That is where the, the label of the romantic comes in. But it's very individualist. Um, they are very creative. They're sensitive and moody. 
They're motivated by a need to be understood, uh, to experience their oversized feelings and avoid being ordinary. So, uh, so far we've talked about all the numbers avoiding something for fours. They want to avoid being like everybody else. They don't want to see themselves as a cookie cutter like anyone else. So it's interesting to watch a four kind of go through this cycle, you know, this how to become your own worst enemy kind of cycle of uh, wanting to feel known um, and wanting to be accepted into a group. So they might conform a little bit to a group to be accepted, but then they start to feel like everybody else because they're conforming. So then they show their true unique self and then they feel like nobody understands them. And so in order to be seen and known, then they conform again. And then they, you know, they have all these oversized feelings. They don't want to be like anyone else. So then they uh, are unique again. And it's just, it's that cycle. And it's really, my nephew is a four and uh, he can talk about this cycle very well. <laughs> if you look at like the spectrum of feelings from like the high feelings to the low feelings, in order to avoid being ordinary, fours do not want to be anywhere in that middle range of feelings. So they they tend to have their oversized feelings are high highs and low lows. And they can, uh, with the weather, go up and down and up and down as long as they don't meet somewhere in that middle. Because if they have a just average feelings, then they might be like other people. And then that doesn't feel very unique. So because they have these big, big, big feelings, they are very self-aware of their feelings and they can be very creative, um, but they can also be very reserved. And then of course, as you would expect, force can be very moody. Uh, they're highly sensitive. They have these intense emotions. They're highly aware of their emotions and because of all of these oversized feelings that they purposely want to feel, that helps them be unique. And so they are, because they're unique, they, they constantly see themselves as fundamentally different from other people. And because they're different, then they want to be known. And then uh, this is where that cycle of uh, conforming, but then they need to be unique. And then they want to be known so they conform. That's where that cycle kind of comes in there. So fours are motivated to express themselves and their individuality. They want to create and surround themselves with beauty. That goes back to that, um, that stereotype of fours being very creative. They want to maintain certain moods and feelings. And again, those are the high highs and the low lows, nothing in the middle. They withdraw to protect their self-image. So when they start to feel like they're like anyone else, they will withdraw so that they can be reserved and moody and they can be that unique person again so that they can kind of go back down into their deep, deep feelings. Um, and they like to take care of their emotional needs before attending to anything else. They are the most emotional of any number on the Enneagram and they just desperately want to be known, but they don't want to be like anyone else as well. And the second that they feel known, then they're like somebody else and they're no, no longer unique. So it must be, I can imagine that being in the cycle of a four is very, can be very difficult. Chris, do you have any fours in your life? Well, I, I can certainly see a lot of these characteristics in my son. Um, you know, but he's, he's still, he's still growing up. So he may, he may grow out of some of these things or he may, this, these may be the way he is for a while, but uh, I definitely see the intense emotions. He gets extremely excited 
bouncing off the walls type excited about things and happy and you know and then you know at the flip of a switch it's like you know everything's the worst you know worst day ever but uh it definitely you can see those things he, he loves being being unique and making sure that you know other people uh see the the cool things he's doing and um doesn't like to be misunderstood if, if people you know mis misunderstand something and he gets he gets really upset but uh, yeah i definitely see those things in my son and, and so you know as a as a nine it's hard to to know how to navigate these you know these emotional roller coasters with the four but um yeah it but he also has helped me to to learn how to show more emotion um i guess because i'm just so reserved you know i i tend not to show my emotions and so he has helped me, you know, he brought out the, the happiness and the excitement and things like that. So that's a good thing. I love that. Um, Peter Scazzaro talks about in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, the importance of paying attention to our emotions. And I think he used the phrase, become friends with your emotions. And so for someone like a nine that, um, can kind of push all that down because a lot of emotions can feel like tension or a three who kind of pushes their feelings aside in order to be productive and successful to kind of take a step back and say, okay, how am I feeling? What uh, can I learn from my emotions? What are they trying to teach me? The four can be so, so helpful in teaching us that. Okay, so now we've talked about the body center or the gut center, and we talked about the feeling center or the heart center, and now we're going to move on to the next triad, which is the fives, the sixes, and the sevens, and this is called the thinking triad, or it's sometimes called the head triad because it makes sense that a lot of your thoughts happen in your head. The first one, as we continue to go clockwise around the circle, are the fives, and these are sometimes called the investigator or the observer. So they are really known for being a little bit more introverted and just, they love knowledge. They just use knowledge to help them feel safe. So they're analytical, detached, and private. They're motivated by a need to gain knowledge. Um, and so that is why they just like to learn and learn and learn and learn. They take in all of their information uh, through their head in the form of knowledge. So they learn and they think, and the more they know, the safer they feel. So that's the analytical side. Because they tend to be a little bit more introverted because they like to observe. That's why we call them the observer sometimes. They tend to observe a group of people before jumping in so that they are a little bit more on the introverted side and they can seem detached and private. And it's just because they are observing a situation before they jump in. They want to learn as much as they can about the people that they're with uh, before they jump in and uh, um, engage with people. Fives are known for having a certain amount of energy that they have each day. And we'll just call this their cup. And they start every day with their cup full at 100%. And as they go throughout the day, their energy will deplete a little bit. And especially if they have interactions with other people, especially strangers, that will deplete a lot faster. And then once they get to the end of their energy cup, when it's empty, they're just done and they just go home and, and go to sleep or whatever they need to do to recharge. 
Fives, again, they have the same amount of energy each day. So if they didn't use all their energy yesterday, it doesn't carry over to today. And so uh, they are really aware of how much energy they have, emotional energy, physical energy, intellectual energy. Um, and uh, so they, that's why they tend to be a little bit more introverted. Fives tend to be very insightful because they love knowledge and information. They're curious because they're learners. They tend to be very innovative. Uh, they think that Bill Gates and Albert Einstein were probably both fives. Um, and uh, so, but then going into that introverted into their brain part of them, they can be very detached and independent, and they really want to avoid relying on other people. That's that independent part of them. They tend to be very deep thinkers and observers, and they need to fully understand the world. They think deeply about the world, they observe the world, and that helps them understand so that they feel safe uh, in their own, in, in their world. So they're motivated to possess knowledge, to understand the environment, to have everything figured out. This helps them feel like they are defending themselves from threats from the environment. So I have a couple of friends that are fives and they are both very introverted people and they can speak very much to this, um, this energy cup that they have that depletes faster or less. And so um, it's kind of an honor to be part of a, a fives inner circle because you know that you are invited in and that you don't deplete their energy faster. And maybe in the beginning of the relationship, when we were still strangers, there was more of that draining quickly. But now that I'm part of their inner circle, they both have said that I don't drain their energy. And so that's kind of an honor for me um, and also a good awareness for me when dealing with, with fives, especially if I don't know them very well. Chris, do you have any fives in your life? Uh, when you started describing the five, at, at first, I wasn't sure I knew anybody that was a five. But as you described the different characteristics, I realized, yes, I do. Um, my mother-in-law, I believe, is a five. Um, she is, she's got that insatiable desire to learn, and she's very independent, wanting to do things herself. So she will learn how to do whatever repairs she needs to do in the house. Um, so... I, I did have a question, though, for you, Maggie. You mentioned about um, fives not being able to carry over energy from day to day. I wondered if it works the other way um, with uh, when when a five has to exert a lot of energy one day, do they tend to be especially drained or do they start from a deficit the next day? That's a good question. Um, I think it depends on the five. Um, I know that the fives in my life, uh, when they know that they have to have a really extroverted day, they literally do nothing at home until they have to go be that extrovert. And so they conserve energy in that way. Suzanne Sabile, who co-authored one of the books that I got a lot of this information from, and I've done, um, I've done some trainings with her. She uh, says very clearly that fives no, you have the set amount of energy and it doesn't carry over. And if you have, if they have an extroverted day, it, they just are drained when they get home and then they go to sleep and they wake up and they have their cup back to full. Um, but at the same time, I think it just depends on, on the five. And I think that, I think that fives are very aware of their schedule and, uh, I think that they probably are very good at planning their extroverted times and, uh, uh, times where they get to just kind of chill and not do things that drain them. 
The next number on the Enneagram that's part of the thinking triad, it's kind of in the middle of that triad, are the sixes. And they're called the loyalists and sometimes are called the devil's advocates. They are committed, hence the name loyal. Um, they are practical and witty. And uh, the the single characteristic that people know that they're sixes are that they are worst case scenario thinkers. They're always threat forecasting. They're motivated by fear and the need for security. So for fives, they got their safety and security from information. And sixes go into our own brain and we think through everything. And, uh, um, and that is why, and that is how we taking information by thinking of all possible scenarios um, and especially the worst case scenarios so that we are prepared for everything. Now I use the word we because I am a six <laughs> and I can tell you all about my journey toward uh, discovering how I am a six um, and I can talk about my own spiritual journey through all of that as well. My journey toward becoming a six was a lot of kicking and screaming uh, because when I read about the six, it feels very icky to me because I know that I'm a six. The six or the loyalist is, again, committed. They're very responsible uh, because we are a little bit more dependent on relationships than a lot of the other numbers. And so we have our friends and we are loyal to them for life. Uh, we are very responsible because that helps us keep up our relationships with people. We can be very engaging, but then are the more we go into our brains, the more anxious and fearful we become. So it's not necessarily about being self-confident as much as it is about feeling secure. So if safety is a word that you use a lot or is something that you seek after, you might be a six because they're always prepared. Sixes are good in a crisis because they're ready for the worst case scenario and they're in a constant state of vigilance. And uh, Chris Heritz, who wrote the Sacred Enneagram, who will which will also be in our show notes, um, set, calls this threat forecasting, um, which sixes, again, we like to be prepared. We like to think through all the worst case scenarios, and we're always looking out for threats so that we can be prepared. So when any of those worst case scenarios and threats come to fruition, which I will say they hardly ever do, <laughs> but when they do come to fruition, then we are prepared for them. Um, so sixes are motivated to have security. Again, that word safety, security is really, really important to us. Um, we want to feel supported by others. That goes back to that loyalist. We are loyal to people that are loyal to us. We like to have certitude and reassurance. And because of uh, our worst case scenario, we're always afraid that people um, might end relationships with us or might stab us in the back because we're always thinking about the worst case scenario, even if they have shown that they're totally loyal to us. Sixes can sometimes be known to test the attitudes of other people toward them just to always be sure that we can be loyal and be safe with these people. And we are constantly fighting against anxiety and insecurity because we're always, always looking for safety and security. Um, and we're always looking out for all the threats, which you can imagine increases levels of anxiety and insecurity. So uh, I'll tell you a little bit about my journey toward understanding my sixness. When I first did the Enneagram, um, I read about the six and I saw all this worst case scenario thinking stuff and thought that's definitely not me. And uh, then um, I read about the nine and I was like, oh, this sounds so lovely. I'm definitely a nine. Um, and I think I mentioned before, like, I wish I was a nine so bad. I think they're the best number on the Enneagram, but that's because I so badly 
wanted to be a nine that I decided that I fit the nine profile perfectly. So for about four or five months, I lived my life as though I'm a nine, um, started to do my own spiritual growth through being a nine. And then I listened to a podcast. It was actually about a three who was talking about her connection to her six. And, uh, and I thought, oh, that the way she's describing the six kind of sounds like me. So I went back and I read four or five other um, websites or books about the six. And I went, oh, crap, <laughs> I'm a six. <laughs> and this feels so icky. And that's how I knew that I was definitely a six. So I think for about three years, I probably have lived into my six sixness. Um, however, what's interesting is that the single characteristic that tends to show sixes that they're sixes is not necessarily characteristic of me. Um, I do a lot of like imagination stuff where I think about other possible scenarios, but I'm not necessarily prepared for the worst case scenario. Um, but when that worst case scenario happens, I have other people help me through it. And then if it happens a second time, I'm prepared for it. So that is how this worst case scenario and threat forecasting um even though it's not necessarily my entire life and um, my entire thought closet, it is still part of it's a, it shows itself, even though I wouldn't say that that is how I knew I was a six. I know sixes that um, are literally prepared for everything. They take a huge suitcase um, on every you know, weekend vacation trip because they're prepared for all kinds of weather. Um, they have uh, three or four different emergency kits in their car. Um, and it's, you know, in every room of the house has band-aids and rubbing alcohol and, and all of that as well. And I have a little bit of that as well. Um, I like having, a, you know, my, I like having a kit, but I don't need all the kits. Um, but something that really stuck out to me when I read about the six, um, that really goes back to this idea of loyalty and uh, kind of testing the attitudes of others toward toward the six is um, if you were to take every person in your life and list them from the person you love the most to the person you love the least um, and kind of rank them all. Um, the people at the top are, I call them my, I love you forever list. You know, it's, we are going to be friends for life. There's nothing that you could possibly do that would ever have you end up on what I call the dead to me list. Because once you um, prove that you are not a safe person, then like it's it's done. You're kind of dead to me in a way. And so that is kind of that that loyalty where it's I either love you forever or we're never going to be in, a, in any sort of relationship, friendship, anything ever again. Um, and, uh, then I'm always, I, it's really hard to come off of the dead to me list. I know one person in uh, my entire life that has made it off of the dead to me list. Um, and he and I joke about that a little bit and, um, but, but he's the only person that's ever made it off the dead to me list. But then once you're on my, I love you forever list, it's more difficult to make it onto the dead to me list. But if you're kind of in the middle you know, kind of on the, the lower end of I love you and the higher end of dead to me, then you might have a chance of kind of swaying back and forth. Like, okay, I like you today, but you've messed up and now I don't like you. And so it's very, I say it's very hard to be in a relationship with a six because of that. Um, but at the same time, my, my best friends, 
see it as an honor that they are on my, I'm loyal to you forever and I love you forever list. So um, anyway, so that's a little bit of insight about me. <sighs> All right. So Chris, that was a lot about sixes. Um, I feel like I know the six very intimately, obviously. Um, but are there any sixes in your life? I, you know, I don't know that I know any other sixes besides you. I might, I mean, I, I probably do, but I'm just not aware. Um, I wouldn't, maybe I don't know them well enough to know that they're a six, but uh, I find that I, I, I can, I can see some of these characteristics in myself, even as a nine. And, um, I, you know, I know that you, you believe that there's a lot of uh, overlap and there can be, you can have characteristics from, from all the different, uh, all the different numbers. So, uh, I think that this uh, is an example of that because I definitely see the, um, the things like committed, needing needing to feel secure about things. Um, I definitely see that in myself. Um, I also have a little bit of that um, rebelling against authority streak in me. So um, um, maybe that's you know that's one part of the six that is pretty strong. I think in me. So yeah, it's just very interesting. I. I I'm, I'm glad that I'm on not on the dead to you list. I mean, obviously we're we're doing a podcast together, so that would be difficult. <laughs> yes. So, uh, but in, it's it's you know I enjoy I definitely enjoy your friendship, and I think that um, your 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 sixness is definitely not a burden. Oh, thank you. That actually makes me feel really good. <laughs> See, and so I'm gonna love you forever because like we're friends forever and ever and ever. I will say for our loyal listeners, if the podcast suddenly comes to an end and you never hear from us again. You can probably assume it's because I probably misinterpreted something that Chris did and decided that he was dead to me. And then that's probably what happened. I say that jokingly, but also not jokingly. <laughs> I understand. I totally understand. But I imagine Chris, that you'll always be on my good side. And, and uh, so, because we've been friends for a long time. I'm a nine and don't want to rock the boat anyway. So, I mean, I think we're pretty safe. Yes. Uh, my best friend is a nine. And I think that's why our friendship works so well, because I can cross boundaries with him and be rude sometimes. And he doesn't want to rock the boat. And so we are <laughs> friends anyway. And so uh, um, if, if he's listening, then he should know that I am very sorry for my sickness and very grateful for his, uh, non rocking the boat ever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the last number, the last number of the Enneagram, but also the last number of the thinking triad. So the sevens are sometimes called the enthusiasts or the adventurer. And these are the people that just love fun. Um, and uh, they're spontaneous, they're adventurous, they are motivated by a need to be happy. So that is like this fun and spontaneous and adventurous side of them. And they want to plan stimulating experiences and all of this, um, the stimulation and the fun and the adventurous and all of that being happy, um, is really motivated by wanting to avoid pain where nines want to avoid tension and disruption. Sevens want to avoid pain. Also kind of like we've talked about the four having high highs and low lows. They don't want to experience anything in the middle when it comes to their emotions. Sevens tend to live on this, the upper half of emotions. They don't like to feel sad or depressed um, or even angry. They just like to be happy so that those feelings on the lower half of the spectrum tend to feel 
like pain to a seven. So they're very optimistic. They're always looking at the silver linings. They tend to be very extroverted. And because sevens are uh, spontaneous and adventurous, they tend to be very impulsive. But because they are always looking for like the next fun thing to do, they can be very scattered. And they might not always follow through on projects and um, and things on their to-do list because that won't feel happy if it's not stimulating. It won't feel great. And so they will just kind of avoid it altogether and move on to the next thing. Um, that Pixar movie with the dog that talks and all of a sudden he goes, squirrel! You know, that is kind of the... Um, the stereotype of a seven that they're just very much like, Ooh, next thing. And the next thing and the next thing. And so they just tend to go from experience to experience, to experience, to experience, and maybe not ever finishing um, an experience to its end because once it feels like routine, it's no longer fun. So uh, because they're very extroverted and they just are up for anything, they can be very charming and enthusiastic. They also, because they're in the thinking triad, they are curious and quick learners. And part of that has to do with uh, asking questions to find the next fun thing. Because they don't always finish out the project, because as soon as it becomes routine, it's no longer fun. Any kind of limitation that's put on a seven feels like pain to them. And so they just don't like limitations and they try to avoid those kinds of scenarios. So sevens are motivated to maintain their freedom and happiness. Again, no limitations. Um, They don't like routine. They uh, really have FOMO, the fear of missing out, because they want to avoid missing out on these worthwhile experiences because they're up for any and all experiences. And they like to keep themselves excited and occupied um, so that they don't have to deal with or process through or discharge any kind of pain. So Chris, hearing about the sevens, are there any sevens in your life? Yes. Uh, the one person that jumped out to me was, is, uh, one of my brother-in-laws. Um, he is definitely the enthusiast of the family. Um, you know, very happy-go-lucky, um, more the merrier, you know, just live life to the fullest kind of a person. And he is a lot of fun to be around um, because of that. And he, you can always depend on him to, to plan the best, outings and, and, and events for the family when we get together as a family. And um, so, yes, definitely, definitely him. He, he's definitely the one that that uh, jumped into my mind immediately. Yeah, sevens are so much fun. They're always looking to uh, feel like they are being stimulated in their experiences. And so they're, they really are the best party planners and, and family outing planners and all of that as well. But kind of on the unhealthy side, because they're always looking for the next best thing, the next best thing. And if you join the roller coaster of the life of a seven and you are not a seven yourself, you might find yourself feeling a little bit exhausted from being around a seven. We talked about the five having a set amount of energy every day, but sevens seem to feel like they have an infinite amount of energy. So if you also don't have an infinite amount of energy, um, kind of like me, I, at the end of the day, I am an introvert and I like to go home and rest and recenter and get my cup filled alone. Um, then sevens can sometimes feel like they're a little bit exhausting to other people that aren't sevens as well. Um, eights also tend to have an infinite amount of energy and threes in their, uh, their chameleon can also, um, be very extroverted and, and can keep up with sevens, um, as long as, um, it, you know, it's helping the three. 
Um, but again, sevens can, uh, they can be very draining if they're not aware of uh, the, the lengths that they're going to to avoid pain.